This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning, Redeemer. Our scripture this morning is Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, page 812 in the Black Pew Bibles. Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is alive, that you speak to us, that you give us revelation of yourself, that you call us and invite us to participate in life with you. God, this morning I ask you, by the grace of your spirit, as we open this word together, would you come and give us a spirit of grace, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus? Would you enlighten the eyes of our understanding to see and understand and to uh, have clarity? God, would you give us spiritual eyes and spiritual hearts to receive your word this morning, that our lives would be conformed. God, that our lives would be built on that which cannot be shaken, cannot be moved. Lord, would you give us that kind of grace this morning? Would you give grace both upon the speaking of your word and the hearing of your word this morning? God, we need you. We need you. Would you exalt yourself in our midst for your glory and for our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to begin this morning a uh, near 16 or so week uh, time in the Sermon on the Mount. From now until the end of the year, we are going to be in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And I wanted to start us at the close where Jesus ends his sermon because I have one goal for us this morning. And it's, it's in some ways intended to shape the whole of our time as we drill into this teaching together. I have one ambition this morning, one desire this morning. You could say that my goal this morning is a spiritual goal. My goal is to call us as a family as a spiritual family, to call us together to respond or to set ourselves to respond to Jesus in the way that he calls us, in the way that he invites us. As we walk through this sermon together, we are week in and week out going to be confronted in so many ways. I love how Ricky said it last week, if you were here with us. He said, as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, there's going to be not a single stone of our lives that's left unturned. 
right? Jesus is going to get into the deepest places, into the most uh, uh, sticky places inside, and he has things to say to each and every one of us. And I imagine all through this fall, every one of us is going to be cut by the power of God's word. The, the sword-like character of the word of God as it comes to us and divides us and shines the light upon us and invites us into a response by faith to Jesus that conforms our lives around what he says is good and right and valuable and true. And what I want to call us to this morning is simple setting of our hearts to respond to Jesus all along the way. That as we begin together, we look at this picture that Jesus closes with and he invites us into a certain response and he says, this is what it looks like to pursue wisdom. This is what it looks like to build your life in a way that cannot be shaken even though the storms of this world might break in upon you. And I want to invite us this morning as a spiritual family to set ourselves that way. So that's my hope. Let's dive in and look at the notes if you have them. So the teachings found in Matthew 5 to 7 are often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And they are some of the most important teachings of Jesus in the scripture. If you look throughout all of church history, these are some of the most commented on uh, portions of scripture. Every, every denomination, every tribe of Christian has grappled with the importance and the significance of the teachings of Jesus. These are some of the most uh, popular or well-known teachings of Jesus. You know, we get salt and light, don't judge lest you be judged, the golden rule, like all these kind of things are found in these three chapters. And the significance of them is remarkable. But what we have in them is these teachings where Jesus sets in front of us the value system of the kingdom of heaven. And he demonstrates the way that we are to orient our lives around building a life on these values, a life rooted in faith to him and a life that is oriented around what he calls valuable. So what we saw this morning as we heard the text read is at the end of this teaching, Jesus gives us a picture into what a life oriented around his words will be like. He gives a picture that demonstrates that Christians, those who are his disciples, are meant to pursue a life built on a firm foundation. So let me give you just a quick flyover and then I'll tell you my, my outline for the morning. The Sermon on the Mount provides a picture of a life partnered with God's grace, oriented around the things that God calls valuable. That's maybe the best summary statement I can give you of these, cha- these three chapters. A picture of a life partnered with the grace of God that is oriented around the things that Jesus defines as valuable. It portrays the things that stand in the way of a pursuit of those things and gives us various practices to uh, seek after or utilize in the grace of God to grow towards them. Jesus calls us to purposefully order our lives around these teachings. We're to intentionally seek to cultivate these values, actively resist sins and temptations that beset us all, and faithfully pursue practices or the means that are laid out by him to see our lives come into greater conformity with his character and his kingdom. But Jesus doesn't shy back from the reality that this is costly. This is where we also get the teaching of the narrow way, right? He says that there will be few who find this narrow way of difficult, costly pursuit orienting their life around the teachings of Jesus, that the way that leads to destruction will be broad and easy and many will find that way. He doesn't shy back from that as we uh, commit ourselves to partner with his grace. So the outline for this morning, all I want to do as I get to this call is make two main observations from the text we read I wanna make two broad observations there. I wanna give us as high altitude flyover of the Sermon on the Mount as I can, and then I want to call us 
to set our hearts to respond in the way that Jesus invites us to. So look at Roman numeral two. The first observation from what we heard read is Jesus invites us to a life of wisdom. Jesus invites us to a life that is ordered around what he says is right and good. And he puts in front of us in this parable at the end of his teaching, this portrait that there's two ways to respond to this. There is a wise way to respond and there is a foolish way to respond. We heard it read for us. One of the most important aspects of Jesus's teaching related to this sermon is the way he relates both hearing and obedience in this closing parable. Look with me again at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and he doesn't stop there, right? He doesn't just say, if you listen to me, you're blessed. If you listen to me, that's a good thing. If you uh, listen to these words or you familiarize yourself with them or you can quote them or you put them on your wall or you have them like embroidered somewhere on a, a throw or something that you put in your house, then you'll be great. He says, everyone that hears these words and what? Does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus outlines that a life built on a sure foundation consists both of hearing the word, which I would say is familiarizing ourselves with them, seeking to understand them, seeking to uh, get into the meaning of what Jesus is saying and understand them at that level. So a life consisted on hearing his words and obeying them, which means we intentionally seek to order our lives around them. This is what Jesus defines as wisdom. This demonstrates to us that Jesus is not simply giving us a new law here. And what I'm trying to get at in this point is a lot of people will talk about the Sermon on the Mount like it is the Old Testament law. This is Jesus's version of the Old Testament law, a lot will say. This is only meant to show us how impossible it is to follow Jesus. And I don't actually believe that's the best understanding of the Sermon on the Mount. From Jesus' own lips, as he teaches this, he says that there is a response to these teachings that he believes can be ordered around pursuing obedience to them. Now, this is obedience empowered by the grace of God. This is obedience that will be marked by weakness and shortcoming and frailty and insufficiency all along the way. As we see, the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit, those that understand that in themselves they don't have what it takes. But Jesus believes and invites and calls us to not just a life that hears these words and lets them sit as this like insurmountable measuring stick, but a life that says, I hear your words and because I believe who you are, the God of all the universe, I will in partnership with you seek to orient all of my life around what you say is good. And that will express itself Jesus believes that his hearers will be able to pursue obedience to these teachings, not simply that they will be an insurmountable like measuring stick. To rightly respond to the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, I think we have to avoid two temptations uh, that we often have to uh, avoid throughout the New Testament. I was telling our staff this morning, I said, one of the things that I find is gonna be the hardest thing as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount is not falling off the ditch to... Uh, either way of, of what we see here. There are two temptations that we are going to have all along the way as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. The first is going to be the temptation to legalism, right? We're going to have in our own hearts the temptation that says God evaluates my relationship with him based on my obedience to these things or my ability to uh, live up to these things. You could say that that way of seeing things would mark the sermon as like, this is how you gain access to the kingdom of heaven. This is the, the standard that you have to live up to in order to gain entrance into it. And we don't want to fall off the ditch that way. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. He's not laying out for people, this is what you have to do to come into the kingdom of heaven. 
How we know that, and I'll get into this more next week as we look at the first couple verses of the sermon. How we know that is Jesus did not walk through Galilee in his own ministry looking for people who were, were obeying these things and then called them. What Jesus did was go and find sinners and the weakest, those that were on the outskirts and the outsides, and he went to them and he said, hey, come and follow me. Join yourself to me. And then as they did, as they joined themselves, he brought them in and he said, the kingdom of God is breaking into the world right now in and through me. This is what it's going to look like. And he invited them to participate as they were joined to him in discipleship, right? He didn't go and say, hey, where are the people that look like this? And then I'll call them and they'll be my crew. He went and got sinners and tax collectors and those that the religious establishment thought were vile and untouchable. And he looked at them and he said, hey, come and join yourself to me freely. Just follow me. And then he brought them in and gave them these things. So we don't want to fall off the the ditch to legalism, but we also don't want to fall off the ditch to license. And what I mean by that is the teaching of the grace of God does not remove from us anywhere in the scripture the, the necessity of responding to Jesus through setting ourselves to obey him. Right? There's, there's two ditches we can fall off. Right, We can fall off the one that says this is what it takes to enter in. And so we evaluate ourselves based on our success to attaining these things. And we're kind of critical with ourselves. And we don't have any sense of stability in the grace of God. That's one ditch we don't want to fall off. But the second one we don't want to fall off is because of the grace of God, we don't have to seek to obey any of these things. Right? We don't want to fall off that ditch either. The grace of God meets us and empowers us to orient our lives around the things that Jesus invites us to. So the desire to pursue wisdom demonstrates that our lives and our choices and our responses before God, they matter. They are significant in the eyes of the Lord. So the first thing that we see here in this parable is Jesus lays out, this is a way of wisdom. This is a way of wisdom to hear my words and to do them, to seek to obey them, right? But he also tells us that there is a foolish response. There will be people who hear these words and do not pursue to orient their lives around them. And he says, those people will be foolish. And we see the reason or where this is going to come to light in the second thing I want to talk about. Look at Roman numeral three. We're currently living in a moment of time where I think we're experiencing a a type of storm. So Jesus tells this parable. It's not just about hearing and doing, but he says there's going to be a reason that this happens, right? There's a reason we want to He wants to invite his hearers to orient their lives around these teachings. He says it's because there is going to be times where storms come in our lives, right? Winds blow, uh, rains fall down, the earth shakes beneath us, and in those moments, the foundation is revealed for what it is, right? And he says there's going to be two types of revelation in that moment, Some, when the storm comes, you will see that their life was built on the stable, steady bedrock of Jesus and his ways and his teachings and his kingdom. And there will be some who are seen as their lives being built on a foundation of shifting sand. And the house will crumble and the foundation will break in those moments. So what we see here is Jesus tells us there will be times where storms come against us in our lives and the foundation of our lives will be shown for what it really is. And I don't know about you, but it seems like the last couple of years, this has been our reality, right? In a particular way. You could say maybe since uh, 
early 2020, it seems like there is a heightened reality in our world at the moment where we are experiencing what Jesus lays out here. And I don't know if you've felt it or not, but I, I've felt at many places individually, I've felt it as a church, I've felt it culturally, societally, all these things where the foundations are being shown for what they were. Right? Like it's a, there was a little crack in the foundation somewhere, and it took a little bit of pressure, but when the pressure came, the foundation kind of ripped apart, and we went, oh my goodness, the foundation of this thing wasn't built as sturdy as we thought it was. Right? That's a nature of a test in the Bible, just so you're aware. A nature of a biblical test is intended to highlight or reveal what our lives are actually built on. Right? A test in the Bible is not like the exam that you had at the end of the semester uh, that you got right and wrong in, in school, right? where you crammed for it or you studied for it up to it, and then you, there was like this pass-fail. That's not a biblical test. A biblical test is a, uh, a, a pressing down on reality to show what's really there. It's like testing gold. Right? You know the quality of gold by heating it up really hot. Right? You make this crucible, and the, the quality of, of the metal is shown for what it is. That's a biblical test. In God's economy, these aren't examinations, but instructive seasons that allow us to see more of what is real in his sight so that we might be changed and transformed. They're invitations. Letter C, it's the mercy of God to allow these to affect our lives in order to expose the foundations we've built our lives on. We actually have to see this as the mercy of God. And one of the reasons that we're excited to preach through this, and I've felt a lot of energy to come to the Sermon on the Mount, is as we have experienced a lot of movement and shaking and winds and rains and things like that, and we're seeing what the foundations are, I am eager to get into the word and go to the very place where Jesus says, hey, do you want stable foundations? Here they are. Here they are. Are you, uh, are you feeling the pressure of shifting around on the inside? The foundations that you've built your life on feel like they're crumbling and moving around and cracking. Where better to go than to the mouth of Jesus where he says, do you want firm foundations? Here's what they look like. Here's the way. I stand with open arms. And look at the word, I mean, circle it in your Bible. Verse 24, how he starts this parable. Everyone, everyone, anybody that'll listen, anybody that will come, anybody, it does not matter where you are. It doesn't matter how much you feel like the sands of your life have shown for, for having like faulty foundations. They've cracked and things are crumbling and moving around. It doesn't matter. Jesus stands with open arms and he says, anybody, Come and listen. It's why we're preaching this. But this is the mercy of God to us to show us what's really there so that we can come into greater conformity with him. He shakes things in our lives so that we might more powerfully partake of his holiness. This is done because of his immense love for us. Hebrews 12 is an extended meditation on this very reality. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to a community who is walking through a test that is tempting them to draw back and uh, find a different way. They're, they're tempted to cower back in insecurity and fear from the things of God. And he, after telling them again and again, don't draw back, you need endurance, don't harden your heart, Jesus is supreme and preeminent over everything. As he's bringing his letter to the close, he has this extended meditation on why God allows seasons of hardship in our lives. He says it's just like discipline. 
The discipline of the Lord, don't be weary when you're reproved by him. He disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son he receives. What son is there that his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which we've all participated, you're illegitimate children and not sons. He says, hey, do you want to know something? Whenever you're walking through a season that feels like it's pressing you and testing you and you feel that pressure to draw back or wonder if you're missing something or wonder where God is in the midst of it, he says, you can actually in that moment bank yourself on the fact that you're a son and he's treating you like a son. He's not not leaving you to yourself. It's actually way scarier for you if you aren't experiencing discipline in your life. That's what he's saying. If you never experience discipline, you actually need to have greater concern, is what the author of Hebrews is saying here. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time. It seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness At that time, he goes on later, the voice of God shook the earth, speaking of when he came to the children of Israel at Sinai. But now he promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. And this this phrase, yet once more, indicates that the removal of the things that are shaken, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Why does God let winds and rains and storms and shaking happen so that the faulty things can be removed and shown for what they are and things that cannot be shaken can be deposited in their place. That's what he tells us here. Therefore, let us be grateful. Be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I actually think that we're coming upon days where there's going to be an increase of shaking and storms in our world. What we're walking through in this season, I believe, is intended as a gift to reveal us the nature and the quality of what our lives have been built on so that we can order our lives toward building upon true and lasting foundations. Look at letter F. We want to orient our lives around that which is defined as wise in the economy of God for all of eternity, not what appears wise in accordance with the spirit of this age. We want our lives to be ordered around what Jesus says is valuable, not what every input that we have in this world is telling us is valuable. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's declaration of what a fulfilled life looks like, a whole life, a satisfied life, a life oriented around him. Look at the top of page three. One of the realities of orienting our lives towards this value system that we find again and again, and I want to say this, I pray a hundred times in the next couple weeks. I want us to feel it and I want us to believe it. Like what would change in our lives if we believed this? One of the things is that his value system is often oriented around what's hidden. Jesus declares several times through chapter six, the necessity of pursuing these things in hidden places when no one sees. Our desires for rewards, and what I mean there is our desire for accolades, for the the praise or the commendation of something outside of ourselves that we all have inside of us, right? We all want Uh, to be great. We all want our lives to be significant. We all want to be valued and worth something and all of that stuff that's innate in us. God put it there. You can't repent it away. However, we all run after it in really, really, really backwards ways. 
really sinful ways, really idolatrous ways. And Jesus invites us here and he says, one of the realities of how I have invited you to orient yourself is around the things that happen when no one's looking, no one's watching. And the eyes of people aren't there to applaud and trumpet and promote and put on display and tweet and whatever, hashtag or whatever, tag you somewhere. Jesus goes, hey, if that's your reward, you've got it. And it'll be gone tomorrow. But if you do things before the God who sees in secret, the God who is in secret will see, he will know, and he will reward. I'm really excited about getting to that. And that's really good news. You want to know why? Because anybody can do it. Again, anybody can do it. Jesus' assessment of what is valuable in the kingdom of heaven is literally accessible to anyone who will believe in him and who will submit their lives to him. You want to know the problem with the value systems of the world is they're highly exclusive, right? They're set on how much money you have, what your status is, where you were born, what family you were born into, how high you can climb, how hard your work ethic is, all of these kind of things, right? Like things that you may not have in yourself, or you spend all of your time and energy trying to run on the wheel to get it. And Jesus goes, hey, the God who sees in secret, he looks when nobody's looking. That's really good news. It's really good news because it means any of us can have that. Any of us can, by faith, look to Jesus and submit our lives to him in all of those places. And he goes, you are welcomed into my kingdom and you can orient yourself that way. Okay, I wanna fly through this next point here. Look at letter A under Roman numeral four. The Sermon on the Mount begins, and we'll, we'll get a lot of this in the weeks to come again. This is just hopefully helping you situate yourself in what Jesus is doing. It begins with Jesus' statement about the value system of the kingdom of heaven. That's the Beatitudes, right? These eight statements that Jesus says, blessed are you if this is what's true about you. Every single culture, every society, every kingdom in all of human history has had a set of values that undergird what people think is successful or what gives you worth or value. They're embodied in things. They're embedded in practices that we all do together. And oftentimes they're given as symbols or artifacts, as status symbols within the culture, right? In ours, you could put money, power, influence. You want to know where a lot of us get our beatitudes? If you go to your Instagram feed, scroll through and this, what the people are telling you will satisfy you and make you whole you put the blessed are the whatever there. Blessed are those who travel because they will be satisfied. Blessed are those with a big, expansive, open kitchen because they will eat better. <laughs> hey, blessed are those who have no responsibility to anything outside themselves, who can be whatever they want to be. Blessed are those, right? We have them in our culture. They are set. They are told to us. We take them in. We ingest them and we conform our lives around them. That's the way values work. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's value system. He's going, do you want a whole life? Let me tell you the way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness on and on and on again. 
these eight beatitudes are like invitations to holding and embodying the things that are truly great in God's economy. These are like fruits in our lives that we seek to cultivate by God's grace, partnering with the Spirit as he works in our lives. They're both supernatural gifts that are given to us. We can't attain them. And they are grown. They are given to us, and we partner with the grace of God in responding to them. Look at letter G. Each of these eight markers runs counter to the ways that the world defines success, growth, maturity, and greatness. Because of this, we must intentionally and consistently reorient our lives by God's grace to see these things as blessed. We do this in this life by faith, right? We ask Jesus to help us see these things as blessed, and we submit ourselves to them in the spirit of faith. All right, look at the top of page four. I believe with all my heart that the spirit desires to speak to his people about the things that are valuable to him. The spirit wants to speak to us about these. The spirit wants to fill our minds with these things, to conform our lives to these things, to fill our imaginations with them, to orient our lives around them. I was thinking this morning of 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul says the spirit searches out the deep things of God and makes them known freely to his people. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to do, right? He wants to speak to you about the things that matter most to him. Our posture should be to position ourselves to hear from him, to pursue whatever means he has revealed to align our hearts with his values. Our values are shaped by the practices we consistently give ourselves to. They're often shaped in imaginative or tacit ways. What I mean by that is oftentimes they're given to us pictorially or through narrative or things like that. Like, uh, you know, the funny thing about me talking about the Instagram feed is nobody's saying those words to you, right? But you get them into your mind and they draw you. They they enlist your affections and your desires, Right? They're shaped as what we see as fulfilling and satisfying. Our hearts and minds must be retrained to see the things of Jesus as ultimately valuable, to see them as the marks of the true blessedness in the kingdom of God. The spirit of the age lays forth a counterfeit set of blessings that have often conscripted our affections and our imaginations. Jesus invites us to build our lives on a different value system one that cannot be shaken no matter the storm. Here's the question I want you to ask. As, as you maybe even this week mull over, like where are your values put? What are your beatitudes, right? Like what do you in the heart of heart think is blessed, the blessed life, the whole life, the full life? And then I want to ask you a question. Does that picture of blessedness have the weight to hold up in a storm, right? Can it be taken like that, right? If blessed are those who are economically stable and supported and wealthy or however you want to parse it out, can that be taken from you tomorrow? Absolutely. Absolutely it can. Blessed are those that have all of the liberty to do whatever they want to do. Can that be taken from you tomorrow? When the storm comes and the rain blows and the world shakes, can what you've built your life on hold you up? That's the question. 
And Jesus invites each and every one of us. He says, I'm giving you a picture of a whole life that when the storms come, your life will not be shaken. It doesn't mean that your circumstances will be easy and they won't be hard, right? We don't get a picture of that anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go great and it's only going to get better and easier and more awesome. That's not what Jesus is inviting us to. He's saying, I have words for you, a way of living for you, an invitation for you that if you build your life on this reality, this bedrock, this foundation, that when things shake up internally, your life will not shake your life will not fall. Jesus is giving us that today. And every day as we hear this, look at letter G. Our aim should be to experience and attain true greatness. Greatness in God's eyes. We long to have an impact or a legacy in as much as it aligns with the things that cannot be shaken and that will last for all eternity. Jesus himself declares that a pursuit of these things will mark greatness in the kingdom. Jesus, as he's finished talking about the Beatitudes, he lays the eight Beatitudes out. Then he tells, tells his people, this is, you're going to be like salt and, earth, uh, and light, salt and earth, salt and light, as you embody these things in the world. Then he moves on and he says, I didn't come to change or abolish what went before. I came to fulfill it. And then he invites us into, look with me at verse 19 of chapter five. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus invites us into a way of being that is conformed around what he values, what he says is great, what he says is good. What would it look like for us as a church family? What would it look like for you to begin to ask God to reorient your life around these values? We long to be a people set on a firm foundation whose lives are built on that which cannot shake, who partner with the grace of God for everything that he has for us. Jesus declares that those who are wise are those who hear and obey. So what would it look like for you over this next season to set your heart, to familiarize yourself with these truths and, which, and in whatever way you can as we walk through this, to set yourself now to obey God here, to obey his word, and to go, as we've talked about the last couple weeks, if you've been with us, when the word of God confronts the reality of your life, we go, you get to say, and I am going to come up under submission to your ways as the ways that are good and right and whole. We respond by setting our hearts to obey in partnership with his grace. Faith in Christ looks like orienting our lives around what he calls valuable, empowered by the spirit. This will be weak in this life, but significant and real before God, right? Like it's weak. I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm not talking about walking without sin. What I'm saying is a life that looks at the teachings of Jesus and says, your ways are good. And because of who you are and what you invite us into by faith, I will submit all of my life to you. And when I come up short, I repent, I turn back to you, I receive your grace, and I again ask you to empower me to orient my life around what you call good and right and whole. That's the type of people we want to be, right? We want to be a firm foundation type of people, that when the storms and the rains and the winds come, the 
house that we have, the foundation that we have, is built on the bedrock of Jesus, his ways, his kingdom, what he calls valuable, what he calls good, and cannot be shaken no matter what. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm going to have you stand. We're just going to take a moment to respond to the Lord. We're going to respond here personally for just a moment, and then we're going to come to the table together, celebrate communion. So let's just take a moment where we are, just in your seat, before the Lord, just say, here I am. God, here I am. I want to respond to your word. God, we want to be a people that hear and obey. God, we don't want to be uh, the foolish type of person that hears and does not seek to pursue. God, we know that we can't do that in our own strength. We know we don't have the, the power. We're not smart enough, holy enough, diligent enough, um, righteous enough to do that in our own strength. Lord, so we just set ourselves right now, and I ask you this morning that you would give us the grace of the Holy Spirit to orient our lives more fully around your ways. God, I ask in the days and weeks to come, would you begin to lovingly invite us into the value system of the kingdom in greater measures? God, would you let us see and love and desire the things that you call good? And would you confront every other place that we've built our life on a different value system? One that's been made by ourselves or made by the spirit of this age or the world around us where we have um, submitted to what Jeremiah calls broken cisterns. Places that we run to find, but they're broken and they can't even hold any water. They can't satisfy. They can't hold us up. They can't give us the very thing we're looking to them to give us. God, would you give your grace this morning? Spirit, even now, would you begin to speak? Would you begin to invite us? Would you begin to put your finger on places in our own hearts and say, I want that. Not because you're, a, you're stingy and not because you're a killjoy, but because you want us to be alive. You want us to be whole. You want us to be really and fully alive before you. And you only know the way to do that. All of these other messages we get, they're lies, they're perversions. They don't know the way to satisfy the human soul. Only the creator gets to say that. And so we submit to your ways. Would you come and speak and lead and guide? And God, I ask that you would make us as a people more built on the foundation of Jesus and his kingdom. God, I ask that you would set us, that we would have visions for our lives that would say there is no other measure of success than what we see in these words of Jesus. Anything else would be a substitute. It would be a broken cistern. It would be something that can't hold us up. God, would you conform us individually? Would you conform us as a church? Would you shape us, speak to us? We're going to move to respond. We'll sing. We'll come to the table this morning. The table communion is open for any and all in this room who are putting their faith in Jesus and their faith in Jesus alone. 
for salvation, for your wholeness, for your standing before God, for eternal life. If you're in this room and you believe upon him by faith, if you understand that you are a broken sinner, you are deserving of God's wrath outside of the gift of God in Christ Jesus, and you look to Christ alone by faith to save you, to make you whole, to make a way for you to come before God. You're a Christian and we would invite you to come and receive this morning. The way we take communion at Redeemer is you tear a piece of the bread off, dip it into the cup. We have wine in the stoneware and juice in the glassware. We'll have servers up in the front here in the middle, up in the balcony, and we have a gluten-free station over here to my right. We'll also respond this morning Oh, before I move on, if you're in the room and you don't put your faith in Jesus, we want to ask that you not come and take this meal. Uh, This meal is a meal that signifies the substance of a reality that is laid hold of by faith in Jesus. This meal is not what saves us. This meal is not what makes us right before God. This meal points to the substance, which is Jesus. So if you don't put your faith in Jesus, don't feel the pressure to come and perform or do some outward religious ritual. Uh, We invite you to stay in your seat. We have prayers in the seat backs in front of you. If you need to know what it would sound like to pray to God this morning or need some help there. But for those of you who are coming, we'll come and receive freely of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And as we do every single week, we have ministers in the room who would love to pray with and for you. If there's things that are stirring in your soul this morning, you're just saying like, I, 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 wanna, I wanna step in. I wanna press into what God has. Like even as we step into this season together, focused on the Sermon on the Mount, even if it's just a reach in your heart that says, I want to pursue the things of God and I want the grace of God to do it, we'd love to stand and ask the Spirit of God to move more and speak more there. So we're gonna respond in those ways now. You can come forward when you're ready.